0: Do you read the Bible? The book's been called The Bible of Infectious Diseases, affectionately known as The Red Book, and officially as the report of the Committee on Infectious Diseases of the American Academy of Pediatrics. You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and I have a treat for you. My guest today is Dr. John Abramson, who's going to share with us some reflections on his years as Chair of the Committee on Infectious Diseases of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Dr. Abramson is the Weston M. Kelsey Professor and Chair of the Department of Pediatrics at Wake Forest University School of Medicine and the Physician-in-Chief of Brenner Children's Hospital in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. From 1999 to 2003, Dr. Abramson was Chair of the American Academy of Pediatrics Committee on Infectious Diseases. He serves on the Task Force on Immunizations and the Committee on Federal Government Affairs. He was most recently chair of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, also known as ACIP. Hi, Dr. Abramson, and thank you for joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable.
1: Well, it's my pleasure to be with you.
0: What a testament, no pun intended, to serve as the head of the Committee of Infectious Diseases. What was that experience like for you?
1: obviously an honor and it was interesting that I had been on the committee for a while and even that was quite an honor just to be on the committee when they asked me to chair it and I was about to take over the week before I was on vacation with my family and two issues broke as my family keeps reminding me I was spending a lot of time on the highway sitting on public phones <laughs> at, at that point I didn't have a
0: no cell phone
1: a Cell phone, trying to you know be on conference calls that we're dealing with these two issues and they were well, the first issue was rotavirus vaccine had been approved the year before, and then data started coming in that suggested that this vaccine, and the rotavirus vaccine is a vaccine that protects against one of the most common causes of diarrhea in young children. It looked like there was a problem with a complication called intussusception. And in that complication, part of the bowel sort of folds into another part of the bowel, and often you have to reduce it either by a barium enema or surgically. And so it's a serious complication.
0: It's kind of like the intestine telescoping into itself.
1: Telescoping is a good word for it. (laughs) And so we didn't know about the complication occurring to the rotavirus vaccine, but interception occurs typically at a mean age of five to nine months of age in children, and no one knows the exact causes of it. And this has been known for many, many years before the vaccine was even developed to occur. So we knew what interception was, But now we were giving this vaccine to two-month-olds and four-month-olds and six-months. We were seeing this complication in very young children at two months of age, and that sent a signal. And then when you looked at in the week after children were getting the vaccine versus a control group that wasn't, the risk was above 20-fold above the uh, group that wasn't getting it. And so you knew you had a problem. The question that was coming in front of us is did we withdraw the recommendation for the vaccine? Within a week, we had come to the decision that we had to withdraw it though I think, it, and I still think, it was the right decision for the United States. It had tremendous in developing countries where you might not have made that decision. And Let me just explain why for a minute. In the United States, there are approximately only about 20 to 40 deaths. There's a lot of diarrhea to it, but there's about 70,000 hospitalizations due to rotavirus per year, but there's only about 20 to 40 deaths. In third-world countries, it kills over three-quarters of a million of children. So your risk-benefit ratio is very different. And we thought one of the great things that would happen when we initially approved the vaccine was that the companies were promising to take it into developing countries. And when we had to withdraw the recommendation, we were fearful that that's what would happen in developing countries, that they wouldn't use it, and that's exactly what happened.
0: There's been a lot of medications recently that the FDA approved and subsequently kind of, uh uh-oh. Was this a rush to judgment on the vaccine? Is there inadequate pre-licensing trials? How do we get in this problem?
1: And that's a great question. So the instance of the interception due to the vaccine was estimated to be about one in 10,000 doses of the vaccine. And in fact, even now, looking retrospectively, that number's about right. It may be a little closer, to one in 12,000. So the number was right. And in order to find a side effect that occurs with that relatively low frequency, you would have to study um, over 60,000 children.
0: And a phase three trial housed how many children?
1: In these trials that were done, I think in the various countries they were done, probably about 20,000 children were studied. So it was a very substantial trial, and the effectiveness of the vaccine was very good in preventing diarrhea and almost, almost 100% in preventing hospitalization. So it was just one of those things where there was no way you were going to detect it beforehand and that's why it's so important whenever you approve a new drug or a new vaccine to make sure you have adequate follow-up as what happens after it's approved. And now, instead of 20,000 people taking it, you know, a million people, as an example, are getting it.
0: If you're just joining us, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on reachmdxm XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and my guest today is Dr. John Abramson. We're discussing Reflections of the Former Chair of the Red Book Committee of the American Academy of Pediatrics. During your tenure, were there any surprises, anything unexpected? I know you walked into the rotavirus. Was there any other events that stick out in your mind that's going, oh, my gosh, we didn't anticipate this?
1: Another thing that happened actually during that week is that it became, for reasons where Congress had asked the FDA to look at the levels of mercury and all its drugs, et cetera, It got released at that point. The FDA had looked at it and released how much mercury was in vaccines and was making the point that there were three different federal agencies that make recommendations about how much mercury you should get in a given period of time per kilogram of weight. And the amount of mercury that a child could have received, depending on the specific vaccines they received from specific companies, in one of those three agency recommendations was being exceeded, and so we had to deal with that issue. And that issue has never gone away now, <laughs> even though the Institute of Medicine on two occasions and a lot of studies have strongly indicated that the mercury in there is not causing autism. There are certainly parents who have autistic kids who believe that it is causing autism. And now it's actually in a special type of court trying to be settled out.
0: I'd read about that. I believe the CDC also has an ongoing project specifically on autism and thimerosal, and hopefully the results will give us a definitive answer.
1: Well, there's no doubt that the parents who have autistic kids, it's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job. It's a disease that takes tremendous time, effort to help your kids with, and so there's no doubt we need to know what the cause is, but most people, including myself, believe the cause is genetic and that there may be other environmental factors, but to me, there's no evidence that it's mercury.
0: So as a pediatrician in practice, I could clearly, as I do, tell parents, have your children immunized? Of course, the vaccines now are essentially all thimerosal free, so it's not even an right. issue. Right. In
1: fact, to try to increase the confidence in parents giving their children a vaccine, we made the recommendation that mercury be taken out of the as soon as the companies could do it. But we didn't want to stop giving vaccines for the reasons that vaccines save many, 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 many lives, not only in U.S. children but throughout the world. Now the only vaccine that contains mercury is influenza vaccine, and even there uh, companies are trying to get it out.
0: What infectious disease issues keep you up at night? What are you worried about?
1: Well, I'm certainly worried about the occurrence of pandemic flu, uh, and the country is getting prepared uh, for that. I'm worried about the markedly increased incidence of a resistant staph aureus. We call it MRSA for methicillin resistant staph aureus and the substantially increased frequency of it, both in children and adults. You're always worried about emerging infections that are occurring, such as West Nile virus that was introduced into this country about a decade ago and different other emerging infections. We saw SARS in Canada that the Canadian public health system did a good job of controlling. So those are the kinds of things that do worry me.
0: MRSA is becoming a community-acquired problem as well. Other than good hand-washing and decreasing the incidence of the use of antibiotics, are there any other pointers you could give us to perhaps make us a bit safer?
1: Well, there is nothing that we know about that works. Once you have it, you can treat it, but there are some people who get multiple bouts of it on a recurrent basis, and there's nothing that we know about for sure that will work to decrease or stop that. Is
0: that an issue of nasal carriage?
1: Yeah, well, nasal carriage, you know, skin carriage also.
0: So washing with uh, know, or something like that?
1: Good hygiene helps. I mean, it helps in many, many things. So you can do that. you Certainly, if you know somebody has an abscess, you want to be very careful about if you have to help them with it. For instance, if you're a parent and you have a child who has an infection with MRSA, you certainly want to wear gloves and make sure you do the hand washing. But there's nothing that an individual can do, per se, to make absolutely sure they don't get it. There's no vaccine right now, for instance.
0: Although I believe one's under development. Is that correct?
1: There are multiple ones. Companies are in various stages of trying to think about how to develop.
0: Was there a disappointing moment or frustrating moment for you as chair of the Red Book Committee?
1: Well, I guess the most frustration I had was over the issue of vaccine financing and the issue that this country really, even though it's the wealthiest country in the world, isn't making sure that all children for whom vaccines are recommended are getting it.
0: I'd like to thank Dr. John Abramson, who's been our guest and has graciously shared his reflections of his tenure as chair of the Committee on Infectious Diseases, also known as the Red Book Committee of the American Academy of Pediatrics. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and enjoy our new on-demand and podcast features which give you access to our entire program library. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health.